2: Best day ever.
1: Maybe second to yesterday with you though.
2: Yesterday was pretty good.
1: We all learned about marriage from somewhere, right, Tracy? Where did you learn the most about marriage?
2: I learned I probably learned the most about marriage from my parents. How about you?
1: Uh yeah, I would say that was probably a place that was quite influential. I probably in some ways learned of what I wasn't gonna do also from my parents. Like Let me tell you this story. My dad, a long time ago, I remember realizing (laughs) that when my mom would get just a little bit upset on a a particular issue and my dad would say things like, you know, calm down And, and she would instantly go from being a little bit upset to a lot upset or picture this scene with me about 1992 and we're standing in the shopping mall as a family in the women's section. Now, how many husbands have been asked the question, does this dress make my butt look big? My dad responded in a way that I think topped the charts. He said, no, it's not the dress. We're talking today about simple cause and effect. Tracy, what do you think the effect was after hearing that come out of my dad's mouth?
2: Well, I bet the long drive home wasn't a pleasant one.
1: Oh boy. You know, cause and effect is something we see all over the place. If you speed, you're more likely to get a ticket. If you say things... Like this to your spouse, well, you're more likely to really alienate that spouse. It's cause and effect. So, the cause is why something happens, and the effect is what happens. And anytime that we take advice from the world, especially marriage advice, we've got to be a detective. We have to be looking for the frauds that are saying, hey, you can have the results without actually doing the work to get them without taking on that cause that you should to get the results that you're desiring. Let me give some examples. My dad wanted to be adored by my mom to be respected, right? My mom wanted a passionate marriage, but if you don't take the time and put in the effort to, to actually say words of affirmation to your husband, to actually build your husband up, or you don't as a husband reach out to your wife and love and build those precious moments into your marriage to ask what is on her heart and mind without a immediate need to like try to solve that yourself, but rather to go to the Lord in prayer together, to take those things to the one who actually can make a difference. So what happens if those things aren't happening in your marriage? Well, you get used to those things not happening and the effect is that you have a woman who believes you care more about other things than her and you have a passionless marriage where a lack of that, Um, intimacy becomes so normal that you don't even question it.
2: Let's go back in time, not to when we were growing up watching our parents, but to when we first considered signing up for this deal called marriage ourselves. What caused you to want to get married? What were your hopes? If I handed you a sticky note right now and a Sharpie marker and said, I want you to write down the main reason or one of the main reasons you got married, what would you write down on that note? Now, David asked me this the other day. He's like, okay, how would you answer this question? And I said, after a little bit of thought, I was really looking for the other half of my whole.
1: And I thought that was very admirable. I would say I want the same things, but um, much higher on my list was I wanted to love her. And by the third date with Tracy, like I was ready.
2: Okay, now don't read too much into that we saved ourselves till our wedding night. But <laughs> it wasn't we, easy. <laughs> it was not easy. But we do want you to be thinking about this. What caused you to want to get married?
1: Yeah, think back. What were the ideals that you had for marriage? As we as we just talked about, there's a lot of ideals that we saw in our parents or saw in marriages around us. And we took some of those on for ourselves. Now, not all these ideals are wrong, but where we get things twisted is when we begin to see Satan's definition rather than God's definition being applied in our lives.
2: Let's give a couple examples of that. You can go from wanting a lover at the beginning of your relationship to thinking later on that you can demand that intimacy, or you can even use it to control your spouse. You can go from wanting a friend, a great desire to have, to actually pushing someone away because they start to feel like an enemy. They're not really, they're not a great conversationalist. They're shutting down. And now all of a sudden you're not looking at them as a friend.
1: So when we aren't getting the effect we want because we sometimes have our hope in the wrong thing, pretty soon we change our cause to something that we think will get the effect that we want to happen. Now, as we do that, of course, most of the time it doesn't work. And what happens is we slowly start to take God out of the authority position in our marriage because we think to ourselves, listen, I've tried it his way and it doesn't work. I've met a lot of wives who have said things like, I just want my husband to love me enough To talk to me. It's not complicated. Just talk to me.
2: I've heard husbands say, I would hope that after all this time, my wife would love me enough to treat me with respect rather than treating me like I'm another one of the kids. Now, these aren't bad things per se, but maybe they aren't happening in your marriage.
1: So pretty soon we adopt the world's empty philosophy of how to achieve these things. And they lead us into believing a lie. A lie that is painted by the world, by Satan, but lies that rob our future. Think about this. What were you willing to do, babe? Way back when, when you're first dating your spouse, what were you willing to do to get what you wanted from them? Tracy, early on, I could never ever resist when you'd bat your eyes at me and ask me for some ice cream.
2: You still can't. Right? <laughs> it's true.
1: Yeah. These tactics of, of how we would, you know, kind of bend and, and tug and pull on our spouse for different things, they don't go away because he put a ring on our finger. In fact, in some ways, they amp up.
2: The ice cream thing is sort of a funny example, but I think David is right. We don't stop twisting and manipulating situations to try to get what we want. So let's put it this way. Right now in your marriage, do you treat your husband or your wife with more admiration and love than when they do something to love you first.
1: This is really common. We think to ourselves that when we give back that admiration, we're, we're like trying to reward them for good behavior in our spouse. What if I told you that that was actually biblically unsupportable? Now there are more drastic things you can do to manipulate, uh, to take advantage and to reject God's authority. But I think this is one that's common and it's pervasive.
2: I've met ladies who say, okay, I know God's word asks me to respect my husband, but I can't because he's not respectable.
1: And I've met men who say, you know what? I know that God's word asked me to love her, but I can't because she doesn't love me. In fact, I don't remember the last time that she did anything but scowl at me. How and why would I love someone like that? Well, both of these things we've talked about, Tracy, are lies. Respecting God and respecting your husband both are choices, and it's true, not everyone in this world makes that choice. Loving others, starting with your wife, it's also a choice.
2: But the people who choose that represent God and has a big impact because God asks us to love our spouse not because of what they can give to us, but because God loves them first and He's given us a love for them. We are God's steward of His love.
1: Tracy, you asked the question, what was it that we wanted? Um, What was our primary thought process around getting married? And usually they aren't terribly wrong things. I don't know a lot of people that got married because they wanted to go rob banks together. Most of the time, what we wanted is something which probably is actually biblically defendable, something that should be within your marriage. But when they're not achieved, pretty soon we began to tweak our cause, we change our behavior, we change our approach. We begin to manipulate from what God's asked us to do to try to drive the effect that we want. I've met men who, who withdrew all of their love from their wives hoping that was gonna inspire their wives to somehow perform for them. I've met wives who withdraw all respect hoping that that somehow is gonna make their husband want to honor them. Now God gives us the wisdom to know that these are not points of leverage for us to manipulate. Respect and love They're not something we get to use as tools to get what we want out of marriage. In fact, something completely different is expected of us, that we would give those things generously no matter how the other person is treating us.
2: Colossians 2 says that we can be fooled by smooth talk. Have you ever been in that position? You read something online, you see something on TV, a friend gives you some advice. It sounds good at the beginning, but it doesn't have any biblical backing We've got to be on the lookout of who we are believing, who we are listening to, because those are the things that we put into action. We've got to be detectives about what's coming into our hearts and our minds, because it's easy when things are stale or isolated in our marriage relationship to turn to another person who is going to look at us with admiration.
1: Yeah, it's common on the internet, in fact, to be in a position where we identify someone that we can lust after without the frustration of this relationship inside of our marriage. The the opportunities within social media and pornography are staggering, and this is the kind of thing that the world says is not only okay, but sometimes is even prescribed. So we see these stale marriages that are hungry for tips and tricks to only gain the effect. They don't want to address the cause. I wanna contrast this, though, against the design for your marriage that God gave you, that God designed. He has given many of the desires that we have inside of our marriage to be thriving and healthy, but most importantly, he's given us the Bible. It is pure truth that we can hold every piece of advice up to and determine whether it is appropriate or not appropriate for us to follow.
2: We see in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17 that the whole Bible was given to us by inspiration from God. And it's useful. It's useful right now in our marriages to teach us what's true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives, what's wrong in our marriages. It goes on to say it straightens us out, helps us do what is right, and it's God's way of making us well-prepared at every point, fully equipped to do good to everyone, including our spouses.
1: So in the Bible, we find the causes that give God's best in your marriage, when we do them with a Jesus kind of love, they are literally guaranteed to have an effect. Now. There's certainly someone who's listening right now and says, whoa, wait a second, David. I've been loving my spouse for six months, for two years, for 10 years in this way, this very difficult part of my marriage, and I'm not seeing the results yet. The only question is when and where we will actually see those results. I say that because I think actually most of the time as we lean into our marriage and live our life in a way that um, God's word actually asks us to, we do see the results here on earth. But there will be some of us that will only hear well done, good and faithful servant when you get to heaven. For you have loved my son or you have loved my daughter in a way that I asked you to love them and it was very hard. John thirteen thirty four says a new commandment I give to you that you would love one another as I have loved you. So as you think about how you're going to love your spouse in the year to come, I want you to stop and think, how much does God love you? Do you ever stop to ponder that? Because how can we give something away to our spouse and to other people in this world that we don't understand ourselves? Now, this verse is very critical because it actually doesn't say love because I love. It's not a cause and effect. It is an example. Love just as I love. We're to copy him. We're to emulate who Jesus is. And I want you to hear me really clearly on this because I think a legalistic believer could say, okay, fine, Jesus, you paid the price for my sins. So although I don't feel like loving this jerk, I will love. But did you know you're kind of like a Pharisee in those moments? You're like someone who knows the letter of the law and you're missing the intent. Even in your attempt to carry that out, you will fail to shine Jesus' light.
2: I love what you're saying right now, David, because this is the gospel and the gospel is relevant for your marriage today because Jesus gave his life for you. You know that he laid it down before you said yes to him. And in fact, he laid down his life so you could see his love. And this applies to your marriage today because he offered his love to you and he has the hope that you will accept him as Lord and then reciprocate that you would be inspired to share his love with your spouse first, and then to the rest of your family and beyond the doors of your home. There is reward in this reciprocation of Jesus' love. We see it in Luke chapter 6, where Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. It will be a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over is going to be poured into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. God is giving us an amazing cause and effect promise in this verse. He's saying, you will have an amazing effect when you do things my way.
1: So as you look to how you're going to love your spouse in the coming year, God says, you give as much as I've given and the people around you will be moved toward God. And that's the goal. When our marriage puts God on display, trust me, you will be overwhelmed with goodness. Let's contrast though, with what the world's advice is. The advice we hear is, is take is, is get is demand because that's the only way you're going to have what you want in your marriage. I read in a magazine a while back, some of the best advice I'd ever seen from a worldly perspective, and that is given the same measurement that you want to receive and things will be fair. Your marriage will be fair. And I have to say that's actually really bad advice. But it's the best advice I heard because it's the closest that we see to what Tracy just read in Luke chapter six. But again, let's hear this very clearly. To do what is just fair in your marriage is being a Pharisee. Although this sounds similar, its intent is totally different. God is saying, give with abundance. Pour it over on your spouse. Not because of what they're gonna do for you, but because what God will do for you. So do you ever stop? And do you just rest in God? Have you heard him say that you are his? Have you accepted him as Lord and Savior? And if you have, do you realize that your spouse, although things might be tense in your marriage right now, is loved by that same God? Even with all of the sins, all of the the warts, and all the, the terrible things that are laying out there in your plain sight.
2: I've experienced this in my own life, and I bet David has too, to keep the love between us fresh, the love between me and God must also be in that fresh, renewed state. I can't just take a sip of God on Sunday mornings and expect to have this wellspring of goodness to give to David. I can't just listen to a radio program about God's word or listen to some Christian music every now and then and hope to have enough to give away. I've got to take in everything that God's given me so that I have an abundance to give.
1: when I think about giving that love that's been given to me, and obviously giving it to you, Tracy, I often wonder, am I being a good steward of that? Do you remember the parable of the talents?
2: Yeah, you're talking about the one with three guys who are entrusted with what is effectively money, right?
1: Yeah, they're called talents in the story. And the first guy is given five talents, which I don't know the exact conversion, but I know it's a lot of money. And he's entrusted with this by his master. And what does he do with it? He takes that and invests it and literally doubles it.
2: The second guy gets only two talents, but he also doubles it.
1: The third guy is the guy that I want to focus on because I think he is the guy who is missing the point entirely. He takes the money he's been given overseas and he buries it. Now, why does he do nothing with it? Well, the word says that he is afraid of his master. How does this relate to marriage? First off, do you ever feel like your spouse has just left you empty handed? Like you've got no talents to work with. The well is empty. And the second area is I've seen husbands who've been burned, wives who've been burned. So because of the times where maybe they tried to invest in their spouse, they've tried to invest in their marriage, but their spouse either completely was unmoved by it or blew up or had some terrible reaction. They stopped investing from that point forward. It's like they were afraid to invest in their spouse because, well, they made their spouse the mean master. It's true. The master is looking for an effect in this story. He's actually trusted these guys with these talents and he's entrusted them with a cause. But in your marriage, you need to know that your wife isn't the master or the source of the talents. Your husband isn't the master or the source of those talents. You work for God, not for your spouse. What you have to work with in your marriage is from God, not from your spouse. So who is your master? Who are you trying to please in your marriage? Is it your spouse or is it God? The bottom line of this is that God has given you and I this amazing deposit of love, and he's asked us to invest it in his daughter, in his son, whom he deeply loves.
2: That's what God would encourage us towards today in our marriage, but the world would do something different. It would say, take the escape. God asks us to run toward the problem. The world says, run away from it. But when we pick up the right cause, God's cause, and we go toward our spouse's brokenness and not away from it, that's when we're going to see fruit in our marriage. Think about the parable of the lost sheep. So Jesus tells of a sheep that's gone astray. He's got 99 sheep doing just fine, but the lost is the one that needs his commitment to pursue it, to restore it. Is that where your spouse is at today?
1: What kind of marriage would you have in this coming year, if you were willing to go out of your way to pursue your spouse in the areas where they've most gone astray? What if we were willing to fulfill our roles with such excellence that we covered our spouse in their weakness, that we actually protected them from the landmines of this world? What if we look forward in this coming year to no longer looking at the past instead, how God would use you for something new, in your spouse's life.
2: God tells us in Isaiah 43:18, forget the former things and don't dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God is saying, look forward. Don't look at the past. Don't look historically at what was wrong in your marriage. Look to me. I am the source and I'm taking you somewhere new and fresh.
1: We have the responsibility to teach the world about God's love. And that starts with these new beginnings, even in a marriage that's maybe five, 10 or 20 years old. The way we show people God's love can be done in multiple different ways. I think most of us want that to happen through our words, but I would say that that might be one of the least effective ways. The most effective way is to have a life that matches scripture. So what does our marriage say about Christ? What does your marriage say about Christ? Ask yourselves that question. Talk about it tonight over the dinner table. Do your daily interactions between each other prove to a watching world that God's word is true? Do your kids and your coworkers see us inside of our marriage, loving each other with such intensity, do they understand that that's the same kind of love they can enjoy in a relationship with Christ?
2: So as we wrap up today here on Vows to Keep Radio, let's ask this question. What are you hoping for, for your spouse, as you look to the future? Not what you're hoping for from them. Not what you hoped when you were getting married, like you thought about at the beginning of this broadcast. What do you hope for them, for the near future? If you're not sure, consider this question. Where are they weak? Where do they need your help? Where do they need you to come alongside them? along with sitting down at the dinner table talking about these things, seek the Lord about a goal that God might have for your spouse and how he would use you to accomplish it.
1: Maybe it's that your husband would be freed from sexual temptation or your wife would be. Maybe God is calling you to a more literal interpretation of 1 Corinthians 7, verse 5. Maybe your spouse needs to change their focus from building their kingdom to building God's kingdom. Maybe you and your spouse need to spend some time and take inventory of the spiritual gifts that God has given you if you're believers and what these things mean in the kingdom of God. Whatever it is that God is stretching you in your marriage to be thinking about, we want you to write that down. We want you to carry that around with you for a few days in your pocket, praying over your spouse and praying how God would use you as a tool in his hand to influence their future to not drive it yourself, not shaping them in a way you want them to look, but rather that God would use you in part of shaping them in how he wants them to look. We pray that as you consider the cause and effect that are happening in your marriage, that you would no longer just look at the effect that you want, you'd no longer just look at the effect that you have. But instead, you'd ask yourself, what are the causes that God is asking me to invest in inside of my marriage, inside of my
0: home? Vows to Keep is supported by a team which includes Biblical coaches, writers, and pastoral advisors. If you have a desire to serve marriages in your community, we would love to hear from you. Vows to Keep is a not-for-profit marriage ministry designed to bring God's encouraging truth to the marriages of our area. As a not-for-profit organization, our commitment to Christ-like marriages includes providing much-needed services regardless of a couple's financial ability to offset the cost of Vows to Keep operations. If you are unable to donate your time or abilities, but would like to help support Vows to Keep financially, visit VowsToKeep.com and click on the donate link. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.